Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from our guest speaker. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or our website for ways to give. Well, good morning, Providence. Um, g'day. I don't really talk like that. By the way, I really love your accent. Can I just ask the uh, Aussies to stand? Oh, just, just coming out here. Coming to the light in the name of Jesus Christ. This beautiful woman is my wife, Carol. The most patient human on the planet. This is Malcolm, my mad fisherman friend. And this is Paul. Paul is an assistant pastor. Pray for him. He suffers more than most. And this is my good friend Marley, who is a worship leader from Australia, and much more. Um, don't be nice to them, all right? Push them around, you know, do all that kind of demand things from them. I didn't bring them here so they could have a holiday. Okay, you can go back. Thanks. Well, as you can see, I'm married. Um, I nearly wasn't for a little while. I once was darkness and now I'm light. I'm in real darkness, as dark as you can get. I have four children. I have 11 grandchildren and I feel like the richest person on earth because of Jesus. Invite you to close your eyes just for a moment. I promise I won't do anything silly. You're the one I adore. 
We love you, Lord. Oh, to know you. To be found in your arms. To see you face to face, eye to eye. Lord, I bless this room. I bless your children, your people. Let heaven and earth merge here. Thank you, Father, for coming for us. Amen. Well, do you feel like a royal priesthood today? Do you feel like a holy nation? Kings and priests to our God, if you don't feel like a king, then you want to tell your soul, stop it. I, I bought this shirt in Nashville. You like it? Yeah, it's pretty. I don't normally wear these kind of clothes, but I just feel like a king. And I, I, want, I like the gold, and I, I, I just, when I put it on, I just said, wow, I just feel like two foot taller. Can dress do that to you? No, but something to change your attitude helps. If you don't know you're a king and a priest, if you don't know you're a queen, you are kings and queens of our God. We are royal priesthood. We're in this planet to represent a regal state. You are royalty and I'm royalty. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We are not here to lie in the ashes and grovel in the dust. We're here to rise and stand and show forth his praises, to declare him, to manifest him. I want to take you back to the beginning, way, way back, way back to the start. You know, when God was looking at the earth, as he created it, he spoke everything into being. He uttered a word and everything came into existence. But he didn't do that with you. He got his hands dirty. He got down in the dirt. And he formed and he shaped this being called man. Now, I don't know if we looked exactly like we look today because... He hasn't opened the window to let us see who we once were as a creation. But we know this, he formed and he shaped us. And when he said, oh, that's good. But it wasn't complete. And then he formed and he shaped the woman as part of the man. And he made us with his hands. And there's a difference between everything else that's being created and you. See, you, he got personal. Very personal. And we got some things wrong, I believe. See, when God created what he created as man, that is man and woman, he manifested who he was in that creation. He created us in his image. And God is love. And every one of you sitting in this room is a manifest representation of the love of God. You were created to be a manifestation of the love of the living God. But the moment you were created in the womb, you were going to manifest the invisible attribute called the love of the living God. It's who you are. That's why deep inside of you, there's an incredible cry 
will someone just love me for me? Who will love me for me? Not for what I've done, not for what I will become. Who will love me for me? You know, I've travelled a fair bit and I've spent, you know, I've spent 25 years in and out of a nation of 270 million people, a nominal Muslim nation, they call it, um, the most densely populated Muslim nation in the world. And I never found one person in that country who didn't want to be loved. There was an old man that I walked up to. He reminded me of my father. He came into a meeting and uh, my heart broke because my father was old like he was and there was something about him that reminded me of my dad. And, and my father's parents were Pakistani and English. So my grandfather was a halal butcher for the Pakistani embassy in Sydney. I don't look, I don't look uh, Arabic at all because, you know, Scottish-Irish. The Campbells are coming to war, to war. The Camp- you know, I was raised like that. <laughs> and so... I walked up to this man, he could hardly breathe, his, his breath was like <laughs> he had severe emphysema and he's on the brink of death. He would have been in his six, late 60s and 70s. And I was so moved because I was thinking of my dad and I threw my arms around him and I just cried all over the poor man. And tears are pouring from my face and he was instantly healed. I didn't pray prayer. I didn't call out any devils. So I just thought he's one of the local Christians. Turned out he was a local Muslim troublemaker. And he would go to churches just to stir up strife. In that moment, when he got healed, he gave his life to Christ. I never preached the gospel to him. And this is what he said. Here's why he gave his life to Jesus. I've been a Muslim my whole life. And I've never felt love like that before. So he gave his life to Jesus right there. When I was 23 years old, I was about to commit suicide. After I had seriously assaulted the the only person in the world I loved. And Jesus visited me at my home. And he just said, Jeffrey, come home. And I'll put your life together the way it was meant to be. I said no, of course, because I wasn't prepared to live without the woman that was the only woman who had ever showed me kindness and love in my life. So a few days later, I made a deal. My wife came home. I went to a church and I went out the front and I knelt down at the front and I knelt down because I figured I don't want to die because you've got to kneel down or God will kill you, right? I didn't know too much about Christianity, but I knelt down at the front there and I ended up just in tears for 20 minutes or more. And I didn't know what was going on. I had long hair and a beard and I was a, you know, bike rider and a drug dealer and uh, what's going on here? What is this place? All you weird people who are happy without being stoned. And so I ran out of there, grabbed my wife and we took off home. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. I couldn't stop crying for two weeks. And I was a guy, you don't cry where I come from. And Carol tells me I cried in my sleep. I was utterly just messed up. I thought I'm having a nervous breakdown. She thought I'm having a nervous breakdown. She thought he's going to get a knife and kill everyone. 
And the only words that would come out of my mouth, the only thing I could speak during that time as I'm lying on the couch just weeping, I was useless for anything, was he loves me. He loves me. I still don't understand it. Why would he love someone like me? I still don't get it. 40 years in. But he does. So when he created us at the start, it was all about him loving us. And there's something we got wrong. You see, when Adam was marred by his union with Satan, we got this idea that God huffed and puffed and blew the house down. Well, he didn't. I know, I've been there. He took me there and showed me. And here's what happened. When Satan marred what he had expressed out of his love, his heart broke. And if you were ever to hear the cry of the heart of God at that moment, it rippled through all creation. Here's the agony at the loss of everything he adored, at the marring of the most precious thing that he held dear, us. And we've painted this picture in this world throughout the centuries that we have an angry God who just can't wait to smite some sinner I've not found that. I've not found that at all. As a matter of fact, he refuses to be angry with me and I've tried him and I've tested him. I'm that kid. You know, I'm the kid who wakes up all night for Santa Claus and when I find out it's not really Santa Claus, then I abuse my parents because they lied to me. That's me. I'm that kid. I'm the kid who says, my parents say, don't play with that light socket over there. So I'm sticking a knife in it, trying to pull it apart, find out what they've hidden from me. And blew a hole in the wall. That's me, I'm that kid. I'm the kid you never want. I'm the kid who's climbing the tree that's 10 metres high and throwing acorns at my mum's head when she comes home from work. I'm that kid. <laughs> I was a little adventurous. I'm the middle of five boys and the eldest was my sister. Being a middle child, you tend to get a little crazy. He's never been angry. You know, the thing that really stirs the anger of God is when his people are in danger. It's when his people are in danger. And that's when he's going to rise. It's when he's going to stand from his place. And Papa has stood from his place. Right now, in this season, in this time, Papa's come to the house. Oh, he's had enough. He's had enough of the message we've sent into the world. He's had enough the way we treat each other. He's had enough of the lack of power and the lack of presence. And he himself is stirred and he's risen from his place and he's coming to the house. He's coming to this house and he's coming to every house that names his name.
And every person who has a place of responsibility and stewardship in the body of Christ worldwide is facing the Father to give account. Now that doesn't mean he's angry. It means get ready for the discipline of God, the Hebrews 12 discipline of God who comes to discipline his children for their good. The discipline of God is on his people. It's on the world. He's gone after the world first. I don't know if you've noticed. About 10 to 15 years ago, the Lord began to audit the world. And that audit has moved to the church. And now the church is being audited. And you'll see many people change in their places and their positions as the Father comes to move people who are not living out their responsibility, care for and love and show the kindness of God and the, 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 the tenderness of the Father to his children. He cares about his children. The church is a mess. I talk of this church specifically. The church is a mess. And, you know, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just telling you the facts. It's a mess. How do you know it's a mess? Because here's the message the world has heard. There's this great God who created all things, magnificent and glorious and holy. He's got these rules. And if you obey those rules, he will bless you. And if you disobey those rules, well, he's just going to cast you into this lake of fire and torment you forever and punish you forever. And by the way, he loves you. And he wants your money. And that's the message they've heard out there. I've never preached a message against sin in my entire time in ministry. Well, how can that be? Because sin's not the problem. There was a cross. And there was a blood. And if sin was the problem, the cross is insufficient. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that he could remove the dividing wall. So that with boldness we could approach the throne confidently in our hour of need. My sin does not separate me from God. My misdeeds but you don't know how bad my sin is. You don't know how bad mine is. And I have full open access to my father. You take away my access to my father, I've got no hope at all. Someone once said to me, do you know when you speed, Jeffrey, because I like fast cars, that's why I like America, particularly like a really hard work Mustang or a Charger would be nice, doing burnouts up and down the street. I haven't lost that yet. That's still in me. It might be a spirit. That sound of <laughs> I hear that going down the street. I'm, <gasps> Carol. <sighs> One day there was a, a really beautiful Mustang parked near where I live and they left the window open and there was no one in it and I went to open the door and climb in it and just sit in it. And Carol said, Jeffrey, you can't do that. And I'm going, I have to. I have to. I feel the glory. So she stopped me. That's why you get married. Your wife is there to stop you getting your brains beat in by the Mustang owner. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish 
Yeah, you'll never need to worry about perishing. You got something in your life that looks like it's perishing? Corruption at work there? Well, his love in my life gets rid of the perishing bit. I never have to worry about that. My salvation is completely secure. If my salvation was up to me sanctifying me, oh, I was done a long time ago. I See, I figured God knew what he was getting when he got me. I think he got a, a, the raw end of the deal. But I'm pretty sure he knew what he was getting when he got me. He knew what he was getting when he got you. But see, there's a second part to the story. And it's this. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I mean, this sounds like a good father who's talking to his son or talking to his kids. He's going, you know what? I love you. I'm going to do this. And here's what I'm not going to do. He made it clear. He clarified what it meant. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And yet that's all they hear. From the self-righteous proclamations of the Christian church. Do you know why self-righteousness exists in the church today? It's because we've put them under performance. You've got to get better. You've got to pray more. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. I was so hopeless as a human being. You couldn't give me one got to. But what's happened is I've got to get to. You see, if Jesus can't transform you, you're not going to be transformed. You see, if it was up to you, <laughs> you wouldn't need a cross. Oh, I know, I got real quiet in here, right? Because, you know, you, you mean my righteousness gets me nowhere? It'll get you somewhere, but not where you want to go. For we were created in Christ for good works, which he predestined before the foundation of the earth. For we are his workmanship created in Christ. Come on, I want to hear you. I am his workmanship. I'm the clay. He's the potter. Get your hands off the clay. I always say to my wife, get your hands off the clay until I say, yeah, you can touch me now. But you all don't police my life in Jesus. One thing my wife will tell you, I delivered her of a policeman's badge. Isn't that right, sweetheart? See? And she's happy to not have to be the cop. Because me and cops really didn't get on too well in the past. <laughs> See, Jesus doesn't even police me. Well, who's going to police me? No one. For all things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. For he who walks in love, there is no law. So what polices you? Your conscience. 
the spirit of God in your conscience, hey, you all don't want to do that. You see, if you understand how the heavenlies work, the kingdom of God works, it's all centers on one very simple principle, and it's the power of agreement. Satan has no power. He was stripped of his power at the cross. He was shamed, humiliated openly. He has no power. None. What does he seem to have so much power? Because every time we operate outside of faith, beyond the Father's will, we're putting our life in the hands of Satan to use us for his purposes. He gets his power from us. And the issue of wrongdoing centres in on not wrong and right, but who is getting our members to operate through. You see, if you agree with the Father and you enter into his will, then kingdom comes. If you agree with anything that's not him, then you're agreeing with something else, whether idols, whether Satan's work, whether his chaos, his darkness, and then Satan begins his work. He needed a man in the beginning. See, Satan just couldn't come and mess the world up by himself. He had to have a man. He had to have a human. And I, the Lord, looked and I saw that there was no one to stand in the gap, so my own arm brought salvation. God needed a man. God needed a man. So he became a man himself to get the job done. And what he did was kill the work of Satan in Christ. So every believer now has the ability to do everything the Father created you for. So what's stopping it? Well, keep telling you it's all on you. Well, it's not. It's on Jesus. I trust Jesus that he will complete what he began here. He started this. Sometimes people kind of don't like my attitudes and opinions, and that's okay. Sometimes I don't like theirs. That's quite a mutual agreement. Satan doesn't like me, I don't like him. We're okay with that. I have the power, he doesn't. Bring it on, boy. I'm Mike Tyson, and you're someone smaller. <laughs> well, why am I? Well, I have the Spirit of God. I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. How much more power can you get than having the creator of all things living in you? And we're walking around in this world like somehow we're the worms crawling out of the soil. No, I do not live in a fallen state. I live in a glorified state. I know, you can see how pretty I am. I'm glorified. I'm a beautiful man. I'm Australian. <laughs> You've been glorified. You were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified in the name of our God and of his Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the name of our God. You've been sanctified. You've been glorified. You've been justified. So what's wrong with me? Keep looking at yourself in the mirror. Instead of seeing Jesus, you see you. And we beholding, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm not a minister of the letter, said Paul, because the letter 
kills. Or to the Galatians, if you want to live under the law, you know, you have to obey the whole law. You know, if you want to live under performance, you know, you've got to fulfill the whole law. And if you break the law at one point, you're guilty of breaching the whole law and therefore you are under a curse because punishment is death. And the opposite of life is death and you want to get out from under all the death stuff that works on your life is get back to a place of faith and back to a place in the spirit where you learn to listen to Jesus and you understand and learn the Father's will and place yourself in it. I've learnt this. If I will simply learn to love people with the same love he has for me, the kingdom will come. Because the kingdom's here and it comes from here. You know, he's not out there. By the way, I'm going to throw a little curly heresy at you. You can do with it what you like. Sorry if this hurts some of those who've taught here. I don't believe in revival at all. Let me tell you why. Because I've had them. (laughs) You see, in Joel, he said the Spirit of God's coming. Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. And then in Acts, Peter said this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel on the day of Pentecost. There are no more outpourings. There was just one. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes. That's what Jesus said. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes. He'll be with you. He'll be in you. We will never leave you. And you shall receive power after my Spirit comes upon you. I'm pulling a few different scriptures together. Holy Spirit's already been poured out. He's brooding over the earth once more. He's not there. He's here. And what we need is the Spirit of God to move, like the moving over the waters. But how he moves, he moves through you. You see, yeah, God could pour something out from outside of us, but it's got to pour out from within us. Rise up a river from where? Here. Here. I was in a prayer meeting. See, I believe in habitation is a far better way than revival. Because revival is like Uncle Bill coming to visit and then he leaves again. But a habitation is Uncle Bill's moving in. And I think that's what Jesus said in John 14. If you will love me, me and my Father will come and make our home with you. You know, these Aussies know my Father lives at my house. They know it. Because when they're in my house, you can't leave that house without meeting with my father. If you love me, you want to be that person that can fulfill all the commands of God? Another command I give you, this is Jesus' really final command to us. It's really simple. Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Not with that prejudicial, I love you one day, love you the next, he loves me, he loves me not, she loves me, he loves me not. Not that human love, but with the same kind of love I've loved you with. Have any of you received the love of Jesus? 
Have you received it? Have you experienced it? Have you brought to tears at any time in your life as the love of God moves over your heart and you feel like you just want to cling on to him for, forever? See, if Jesus walked in the room, stood right there, would you want to run up and wrap your arms around him? Would you? Would you want to let go? You wouldn't, right? Let me ask you this question. If Christ is in you, can someone love, can you love someone like that and they wrap their arms around you in the same way? See, we're a little afraid to be loved, you know. You get too close to me, I'm going to put my arms around you. Ask, ask him, ask Steve, that's why he got scared up here, I put my arm around him. I mean, you Americans are a little scared of intimacy, I see. <laughs> see these guys here? They can't escape anymore. They are so addicted to the intimacy of the love of God that pours through people, they can't handle it anymore. They have to touch you. Did you see Steve squirm up here? Because I slipped my arm around his waist. In an intimate embrace with my brother, he freaked out. That's <laughs> ah, a little bit intimate, Jeffrey. Can we just go back to that manly position? When I was a very young Christian, I, I, I didn't look much like I do today. I was pretty dark. And I walked into a four-square church and there was about 600 people. It was one of the larger churches in Sydney. And as I said before, you know, me and the, the, the police, we, we didn't get on so well. I don't have a criminal record, never has, because Jesus protected me, obviously. But here's this... Larger policemen. And when I say larger, I mean donuts. He must have eaten them all day. I mean, this was a, this was a generous-sized policeman in a police uniform in church. You shouldn't do that if you're going to have sinners in your church, right? Because they scared, you know. And this policeman, it, we call them cops in Australia. This cop comes up to me and he goes, Hello, Jeffrey. And he wraps his arms around me. And I'm a skinny, bit like I am today. I'm quite thin and puts his arms around me and I just go. <laughs> and I was as frozen as a popsicle. And I just waited for him to let go. And all I'm thinking in my head is, keep your hands where they are. Don't be moving your hands. Hands move anywhere. I'm going to have to give you a quick elbow and run. And then the next Sunday, he did it again. And then the next Sunday, he did it again. And got to that point, I'd get in the church doors and be like, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? That's all I'm thinking. He's coming for me, I know it. And I'm sitting at home and I'm watching TV, which was my mum, and... Um, there's a show and there's a woman singing. She's singing this song, Why Don't You Let Somebody Love You? And as I'm listening to that, Jesus just sings straight out of the TV to me. He goes, when are you going to let somebody love you, Jeffrey? I went, you're not talking about the, the cop, are you? It's 
like, yes, Jeffrey. I want you to receive what he's trying to give you. I'm like, I don't know what he's trying to give you, but I, I, me, I, but I don't know if I want it. <laughs> he said, when are you going to let somebody love you? And a friend of mine sitting there was newly saved, and he was a really dark boy too. And I said, did you hear that? He goes, yep. He heard it too. He heard Jesus say, when are you going to let somebody? I said, you heard it too. He says, yeah. I said, what are you going to do about it? He said, I ain't doing nothing with that. <laughs> so the next Sunday at church, I get there. And I kind of get in the doors. And I like to sit in the back row because that gives you a quick exit to the door. And that way you can complain about people and they don't really hear it. You can just blah, 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 blah. You know, like you do. there he is. So I can't try to lose myself in the crowd, but he hunts me down. Just, you know, <laughs> scared the daylights out of me. Anyway, he finds me again. He puts his arms around me. Saying, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. It's Jesus. I know he wants me to do it. So I drape my hands around him like this. <laughs> and I'm hoping nothing happens. And as soon as I responded, I melted like that popsicle in the sun. And I put my head on his shoulder. And I just completely melted. It was the most beautiful, amazing feeling I'd ever felt my entire life. As I felt not just Jesus, but the genuine love of a human male loving me. As a young man. So now next week at church, I come through the doors. I'm the hunter. He's the prey. <laughs> I'm looking for him. Come on, my big fat cop. Where are you? <laughs> and I hunted him and I found him. And I put my head on his shoulder and wrapped my arms around him. I just melted all over again. And he melted me and melted me and melted me. For four years, twice on a Sunday, I was melted. And when I'd experienced that, I realized, you know, all my life I never received any caring or loving affection that was healthy. Now, I learned something from that man. I learned that my heavenly father is affectionate and caring and that human beings need to be loved in reality. Not just loved in presence, but loved in reality. See, you know if Jesus was standing here, you know you want to put your arms around him, right? Why can't he love others through us like that? So ministry time today isn't going to force you all to hug something. No, I'm joking. <laughs> that would be too scary. What am I talking about? We've forgotten who we are, if we've ever really known. See, when Jesus went to that cross for me, he came for me because I was always his. There's not one person on this planet that he loves more than another. You see, the crack addict, the person who's on the street going crazy from meth, the psycho bubble, babble, Hamas, ISIS, doesn't matter who they are, there isn't one single person on this planet he did not die for. 
and that prejudice we have. Well, should we defend our borders? Absolutely. Try pushing into Australia. We'll give you a smack or two. <laughs> we put fences around our homes. You people got none. We're driving around, hey, they got no fences. You can just walk on their property. Not in Australia. You know, you walk on anyone's property in Australia. Hey, get yourself out of there. What are you doing in my yard? <laughs> we defend our borders. Yes, you should from the evil. But you've got to understand something. I've led thousands of people to Christ, tens of thousands, many of them Muslims. They're easy to bring to Jesus. Just heal a sick person. Show them the love of God. Because you can. There isn't a person in this room who isn't a miracle worker. Not one of you. You just don't believe it. You know how I learned to heal the sick? By practicing on everybody. That's all. I can't control who gets healed and who doesn't, but I can control this. See, he said, you shall lay hands on the sick. <laughs> now what? <laughs> well, I'm serious. First person I really, uh, well, when I got saved, I led all my drug, oh, time's running out. I led all my drug dealer friends to Christ, all 14 of them, all these other dealers. I just went and loved them, told them my story. But later on, I was standing in the streets and I said, geez, I'm sick of handing out tracks. I want to I lead someone, I want to bring someone in the kingdom. So I just stood there waiting and finally this Vietnamese, young Vietnamese man walked past and I felt someone shove me but there was no one behind me so I went, I must be him. So I stood in front of him and said, hey, do you know Jesus? He goes, no. I said, do you want to? He goes, yes. I went, oh, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I so wasn't ready for it. Oh, well, what do I do now? I was a good Pentecostal. I was on the street doing evangelism but I never expected anyone to say Yes. He said, okay, give me your hand. So he put his hands out. I closed my eyes. I held his hand. said, Jesus, put your life in this man. And I opened my eyes. He's crying his eyes out. I went, you want to come to church? He goes, yes. So I got his address. I went to his house. He'd left an hour earlier. He was already at the church. He went on to be a leader in the Vietnamese community, bringing lots and lots of people to Christ. I had no idea what I'm doing. I just asked the question. Do you know Jesus? No. In Australia, this is a tough deal. It's easier to preach the gospel here than it is in Australia. I mean, we're the rednecks of the southern hemisphere. <laughs> oh, yeah, we are. I know if Australia, anyone in Australia listens to this, they're going to be, what are you doing representing us like that? I was in Indonesia and there's a kitchen worker in the kitchen where we where we stay, I said to my friend, his abrupt tea, he said something that made me think that maybe she wasn't a Christian. I said, is abrupt tea not a Christian? He goes, no. I said, she's worked here for two years. He goes, yeah. I said, have you told her the story? He goes, well, no, she's a Muslim. I said, oh, okay. Hey, abrupt tea, can I speak to you for a minute? She goes, yeah. I said, do you know Jesus? He goes, no, I'm a Muslim. I said, that's okay. I don't worry about that. Jesus doesn't worry about that either. I said, can I tell you a story? She goes, okay. So I told her the story of how I met Jesus. Two minutes into it, she's crying her eyes out. 
I said, Brupti, would you like to know Jesus? She goes, yeah. I said, you ready to give your life to Jesus? He says, yeah. She gave her life to Jesus right there. And her husband was a Muslim, so I let her keep going back to the mosque. The Indonesians had a problem with that. I said, you can keep going back to the mosque. Nothing like a little light in a dark place, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. The only reason there's light, there's only, there's, the only reason there's not darkness in this room is just where the light is being obscured. So I wasn't afraid. I mean, they all twist it up because you can't go to a mosque if you're a Christian. Yeah, I know. They used to tell me you can't read newspapers and go to the movies. <laughs> so I like to watch certain movies, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out, and then sanctify my brain afterwards. Look, I'm here today with one message and it's the only message I've ever had anywhere I've gone in the world and that is my father loves you and I'm, I'm here to represent him. He sends me where I go. He tells me where I live. He tells me where I don't live and he's just given me one message for his children and for the rest of the world and that is tell them I love them, Jeffrey. Just tell them I love them. And the doors open. The doors open. And every need that we have, he can meet. Now, I know we'd like to get it like a McDonald's drive through but there's a lot more complicated things at work in this thing. And Satan's infiltrated everything. He's been at it for 6,000 years. And so later on, then we'll hear a bit more about this. But, you know, you don't have to be afraid of devils and demons. And if you think Christians can't have a demon, you need to rethink that. You really need to rethink that. Because if, if we're not looking like Jesus and we love him and we're doing all that we know is right, why don't we look like Jesus? Because something's impeding us. We're being impeded. And my hope is that while we're here in this, this week and this time, that some of these impediments are going to be broken. And some of those oppressions and darknesses that sit over his people are going to break free and you're going to start to feel loved and rejection is going to crumble under the heart of our father is that good i have to finish i i said you better give me a clock because i'll I'll talk for three hours so pastor you, you welcome thanks for checking out our sermon of the week if you have questions or would like to get connected download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.